together. An interview series exploring the possibilities of cross-architecture development with those who live it. I'm your host, Nicole Huseman. Earlier, we talked to Eric Lindahl and Roland Schultz about how Gromax, one of the world's most widely used open source molecular dynamics applications, is helping provide insight into the world around us and the computational challenges and immense benefits it brings. Today, we're picking this discussion back up and talking about porting Gromax across heterogeneous architectures. Eric Lindahl is a biophysics professor at Stockholm University and KTH Royal Institute of Technology. He's been instrumental in the development of Gromax. Welcome back to the program, Eric. Great to be here again, Nicole. And Roland Schultz is a parallel software engineer at Intel. He's worked on Gromax for over a decade, contributing primarily to parallel efficiency improvements and code modernization. Great to have you with us again, Roland. Thanks for having me. Andre Alexeyenko also joins the discussion. Andre is a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Applied Physics at the KTH Royal Institute of Technology and SciLife Lab. He's done much of the work we'll talk about today. Andre, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Eric, when we last talked, you made an intriguing statement. Exascale is not a goal. It's the next milestone that we're going to fly right by. Why don't supercomputers solve everything? Oh, that's a good question. So supercomputers are great, but they just provide raw power, right? And as expensive as they are, the one thing that's more precious is human brains. And I guess Alexei is a great example of that. We need smart people to solve the problems. So obviously, we've started to talk last time about the different programming languages. What's your view on the status of the programming languages we have available today and how potentially one API is the next step in this development? I would say that they're adequate. They're not perfect, but I'm not sure whether perfect is the goal here, right? That as a researcher, it's easy to think that, oh, all I would really like is a single-threaded program like old-fashioned Fortran code, and then it should be up to the vendor and the compiler makers to make my code magically go fast. But as we all in this discussion know, that's not magically going to happen. There are some fundamental limits of physics here. Full disclosure, I hate programming most of these languages, but the problem is that that's not really the language I'm hating, right? What I'm hating is that the fundamental limits that physics is setting here, that there are latencies to worry about and everything. And these languages at least expose those limits. So smart people like Andre here can try to work around them. For that reason, I would say that they're adequate. I don't like them, but it's the limitations we have to live with. Yeah, the languages can hide the hardware details for some uses, but Eventually, all the abstractions start leaking, and if you really want to push the hardware to its limits, you have to go low level. You have to really dig into the operations of the hardware. And I guess here, it's not that much about the language, but about the hardware and whether the language allows you to work with it, not about the syntax sugar or anything like that. Although that is certainly Nice to have. I think a great example, so Roland, you are specifically about one API and even things like accelerators, GPUs, you name it, they too evolve. The latest trend we're starting to see now is that we're actually increasingly going to have devices with multiple chips, just as we got multiple chips and CPUs two decades ago. 
And that's, of course, a pain because none of us have designed algorithms to make this work. But suddenly we started to have APIs where it's at least possible to express some of these things. It will actually take a year or two before most of our programs can really fully exploit it. But short term, it's a pain. Long term, the only thing that's worse than that pain would be having APIs where I can't express this because then I can't make my code faster. Andrews, you said to get good performance, one has to program towards the hardware, and I completely agree. But on the other hand, Gromex is over a million lines of code, and we can't write every line of code for every new hardware coming out. And we're doing a lot of work in Gromex to avoid having too much code specific to each individual hardware. What do you think is a good way of doing both portability as much as possible while getting performance? That's a really good question. And for the current release cycle, a big goal for us is to unify where possible the divergent code branches for different GPU architectures. So I don't think there is an easy and straightforward answer here. Of course, on one hand, we want to have as unified code base as possible, as few device-specific workarounds and branches as possible. On the other hand, just writing a single code and hoping it will work magically on all devices and achieve at the highest possible performance probably is a bit too much. So it is very important to strike a balance here how much we can maintain, how much effort we can put into optimizing for a specific hardware, because of course, uh, there is also the limitation of the human resources available to us. We cannot manually tune for every single device on the market. No, and it's, I know a few years ago when we got Mark Abraham and you were around then too, Roland, to join the team that I think we've over the years learned that in academia, we always see codes as assets, right? While more professional code developers, they've learned to see code as a liability. And I, I think we're gradually getting there. But it's hard. Any vendor or skilled student or something that comes up with something that speeds things up by 2%, by itself, 2% is awesome performance. But then we have to realize, well, somebody will have to maintain this. Someone will have to debug this long-term for three or four or five different architectures. And the really hard part is occasionally saying no to something that in principle is good, but it's going to cost too much long term. Because we've talked about the language features. How much do the language features matter for this? So currently, we have OpenCL as one of the code branches for GPU support, and it's C-based. And then we have support for CPU, where we not using the SPMV programming model, but we're doing explicit SIMD programming. How much do you think we can in the future share code by having one programming model which works across different CPU architectures? That's a great question. I'm actually looking forward to hear what Andre thinks about this because he doesn't have all the burden of 20 years of looking at this code like I do. <laughs> Part of our interest in Circle is, this sounds horrible to get rid of OpenCL, right? But C++ comes with many advantages. It allows us to organize code at a higher level. It allows us to abstract things away. So our plan right now is by introducing Circle as the portable layer, we can gradually retire OpenCL and have native C++ everywhere. But your challenge is even greater. Will we have a future where we can have a common code base for CPU and accelerators? I don't know. I think short term it's going to be difficult, but I would love to be proven wrong there. Yes, I don't believe we are going to see the single code base for 
CPU and GPU in the near future. Even right now, one can run OpenCL on CPUs, but usually the programming model is not a good fit for CPUs. So while it is possible to have a common OpenCL or better SQL code base, because yes, in our case, supporting OpenCL is quite a big pain, to be honest. Not only because it's plain C, but because it's a small island of C surrounded by a C of C++. So we have to keep in mind the interoperability of the, say, headers that are included in both C++ and the C code base. Yeah, and I would expand on that by saying that maybe we're asking the wrong question, right? Of course, we can make a circle code run well on a CPU, but that's inherently a circle type of code. What many of us, and in particular Roland, has been active in is using CPU to the maximum extent possible. And one huge advantage of a CPU is that I can execute a single instruction and then have the results just like five clock cycles later. And this has allowed us to write exceptionally fine-tuned code for things that's extremely latency sensitive. It is a limitation of SQL in the sense that the whole accelerator model is that we're paying in latency for getting throughput. And that using that type of programming API for code that we've been able to exploit very short latencies, I think that's difficult. And it's probably even the wrong optimization to do. I expect that we will see a convergence where what we today call CPU, um, just as we have a floating point unit in them now, we might very well have a throughput focused set of execution units in them in 10 years. And at that point, who knows, we might have some sort of circle programming environment where we're using slightly different programming constructs for latency versus throughput focused things. But my hunch is that programmers in general should start to think about, is this particular part of my algorithm latency or throughput sensitive? Because neither the compiler nor the API will solve that magically for you. Yes, very good point. So I think historically, the Gromax project always tried to base things as much as possible on open standards, like whether it's languages like C, C++ or OpenMP and so on. Why is it currently not possible to just use plain C++? Extra languages are needed for GPU programming. And what do you think is the future path towards having GPU support in just C++? I think those are two very key differences. The first thing, of course, it would be an awesome world if we could just write our algorithms, forget about C++. What if I could write my algorithms as equations and then just magically have a computer solve everything? I think we've tried that, including Intel, a couple of times. It usually didn't work out particularly well. (laughs) The reason for expressing the limitations of hardware, with that also comes the possibility of using the special properties of the hardware, right? That it matters occasionally whether I have a SIMD unit that's four, eight, or 16 units wide. And if I can not just compile an existing algorithm, but if I can tune my algorithm to benefit from, say, operating on four by four units, that of course means that I can exploit that. But if I don't change my algorithm, it would have to be an exceptionally intelligent compiler to not just change the implementation, but completely change the algorithm to fit a hardware better. And I just don't see that ever happening. I agree. My view on it is that while there are like interesting new developments happening or proposed for the C++ standard, it's still quite a few years out until we have all of those features you just mentioned or the capability to express 
those things you said we need to be able to express in just ISO C++. Yeah, but there will, of course, be many simple things like sorting or uh, obvious processes we do in STL containers. They will obviously be GPU accelerated there as they are. We should all stick to the standard. They're as little specific code as possible, but things that are very algorithm specific, I would so love to be proven wrong here, but I just don't see it happening. This would kind of be like me writing a bubble sort and then the compiler changing that to a quick sort, not just by linking to a different library function, but recognizing the algorithm. And I can't imagine compilers being that smart in my lifetime. Yes. And as you mentioned, the trend is going towards more hardware diversity. And all those factors you just mentioned mean that we will need to even more have different algorithms to run well on those diverse set of hardware, correct? Yes, but in many cases, I would argue we don't need completely different algorithms, but we might need algorithms with a few tunables, right? So that, for instance, if I run on a completely scalar architecture, it's likely best to calculate a one-by-one interactions at the time. If there is some sort of fundamental four-way SMB, it's likely better to do that four-by-four. But in principle, it's the same algorithm. It's just that we have some sort of tunable parameter here, and that's at least for parts of Chromex, I think we've been able to achieve that, that these are not four different directories with completely orthogonal code. It's one directory, but just depending on the hardware, we end up using slightly different versions of the code. I totally agree. For example, right now in Chromex, OpenFedBackend supports the most devices. It supports NVIDIA, Intel, and AMD GPUs. And it is mostly the same code with a few vendor-specific blocks here and there. However, we, to get good performance on NVIDIA, we have to use CUDA primarily for their devices. So we have to maintain an additional copy of mostly the same code in CUDA. So while there is a variety of hardware, the algorithms are mostly identical with a few knobs or a few blocks here and there that are vendor specific. But the zoo of different platforms, which are vendor specific, make maintaining the support for these different hardware quite a hassle. Second role, and you spoke about the importance that we should have standards, right? Since a couple of hours ago, Sickle is now a standard from the Chronos Group. Yeah, exactly. Today of the recording, the new version of the Sickle 2020 standard was released. And given that it was released today, you probably haven't had time to look in detail at this, but the provisional has been out before. Are there any specific things you're excited for the new release of the standard? Well, as you said, we've been able to monitor the process a bit from the inside. But if we look over the last year, I like the fact how this entire interaction and bringing in lots of developers has helped. We've been able to shave off a few warts and things like avoiding having too many things like naming uh, templates and kernels and everything. It's certainly an easier language to use than it was a year ago. When it comes to alternative programming models, the ones already mentioned, and also Pragma-based ones, why did you choose to use Sickle to target Intel GPUs? You mean compared to OpenCL? Compared to both Pragma-based, so using OpenMP offload, as well as the other alternatives available, yes. So if we compare to OpenMP offloads, are in Theory interesting, actually, it's not strange. For many users, I would encourage them to start with OpenMP because it's simple, it's portable, and it will work everywhere, right? 
our curse with Gromax is that we spent so many years optimizing this, so we know a whole lot about how to exploit details of hardware to get good performance. And with the language like Sickle, we can dig deeper here. Once you've hit your head against brick walls too many times and you just can't push OpenMP further, that's probably the stage when you should start using Sickle. This might sound strange, but don't immediately jump to these languages unless you absolutely need them, right? Unfortunately, over the years, we have accepted that we do need them. So again, writing things with explicit instructions, targeting hardware is a necessary evil, not something you should do just because it's fun. What was the experience like so far? The DPC++ release is still the first release. So as with all new software, there are still some initial hurdles. But Andre, how was the experience so far porting to Circle and how did you go about doing that? I know you did a lot of refactoring at the beginning. Why did you choose to do that? Most of the refactoring was related to things that our code base is large and has a lot of history. Right now, we have some code duplicated between CUDA and OpenCL backends and adding a new backend will require adding a third copy of essentially the same code. While task of unifying all these code branches haven't been finished, it was planned to be finished in 2021 release. Unfortunately, it was not due to time constraints of the year ending, but it was partially done. It, it was a great help because well, the less code duplication there is, the easier the overall product is to maintain. Uh, regarding the SQL itself, the experience was pretty positive. As Roland mentioned, there were some pains related to the novelty of the whole toolset, the early versions of standards and so on, but that was to be expected. Yeah, I was, I've been very positively surprised with this. And all these languages have bugs. I'm not, I don't worry so much about bugs, to tell the truth, but that we're gradually seeing a community with people exchanging information, right? That's usually how we find our ways around, not necessarily bugs, but even limitations, that something is too slow. Has anybody found a faster way to do that? And of course, Circle is nowhere near as mature as CUDA. That would be a horribly unfair comparison to make, given that there's almost 20 years of difference in development. But we are seeing a budding community here. So you're not going to be all alone if you're developing SQL code today. And what is particularly nice is that not only the community of SQL developers is growing, but also the number of existing backends. We, have, we see an active development, not only in PC++, but also in third-party backends implementations like CompuCPP or Hipsicle. So the standard itself is getting widely adopted and getting a huge support. It's no longer a vendor-specific thing. It is actually becoming a community-wide standard. Yeah, this might sound strange in a podcast organized by Intel, but I would actually argue this is potentially the strongest side of Sickle or DPC++, whatever we call it. But I love the example that happened about a week ago that NERSC are now contracting with Compute CPP to make sure that Circle will actually work on Perlmutter, which ends an NVIDIA system. 
but as developers, of course, that means that you can start writing your code and I bet not even NERSC knows what architecture their next system after parameter is going to have. But I bet that the SQL code is going to run on it. And that has never, ever been the case as a developer before, that you can trust that your code will run on the next generation accelerator too. Gromax is in some ways an outlier, right? Because it's very difficult to take performance away from people when you're giving it to them. That's also why we can't just switch to SQL overnight. But we have several of these other projects in the team and new acceleration efforts we're starting, then I will increasingly just use SQL. It might not give me 100% everywhere, but I will get 90% everywhere as a gigantic savings development efforts. So, Andre, I know the preview release of the SQL version, which came out just a few days after the new Gromex 2021 release is out. Where can people find it and what can people expect to be in that release and where can they get more information? The version 2021 sequel was released on February 5th, a few days from the main 2021 release and can be downloaded on our website, gromox.org, right below the main section for 2021 series. Regarding features, it has support for offloading the non-bond computations to the SQL devices, particularly Intel GPUs. It's made a separate release because while it is stable, we do want to be able to update it more often than the main release because SQL is in very active development right now and we might need more features and more hardware support during the upcoming year. As we wrap up today, Andre, Eric, where can listeners go to learn more? So you can find a lot of information at growmax.org. That website itself can look pretty outdated, and that's because all the real action is happening on GitLab where you see the code. One of the things I love personally about open source, not just our own project, is that you can literally look under the hood, dig out all the plumbing, and check the patches as they are coming in hour by hour, minute by minute. So all this development happens completely in the open. So go and have a look at Andre's code and see what he and others in the team are doing and learn from that. Please steal our code. That's the whole point of open source. Excellent. So well said, Eric. Thank you. And Roland, is there anything more you'd like to share with folks? Any other resources? The same is true for our DPC++ compiler. It's on GitHub and all the sources available. People can experiment with the internals of the compiler, file issues, both regarding bugs, but also ideas, both when it comes to implementation as well as to the specification. So the SQL standard is open and our extensions are open and as part of DPC++. If there's anything which we missed or where you have ideas of improvements, we are very much looking forward for feedback. Great. Thank you. Eric, it's always so great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Nicole. And Andre, thanks so much for diving down into the gory details with us and providing us with your experiences. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk here. And Roland, always wonderful to have you with us. Your insights are truly invaluable. Thanks. This was a fun discussion. And thanks to all of you out there for joining us. Until next time.